You're listening to Westminster on the Fly, a podcast from the Appalachian Roundtable with your host, Pastor Andy Steyer. Welcome everyone to Westminster on the Fly, uh, the podcast that works its way through the Westminster Standards. We are currently working our way through the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I'm your host, Pastor Andy Steyer. I am the pastor at Canal St. Leans Presbyterian Church in Malden, West Virginia. Today we are looking at question seven. Uh, question seven of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Now let me just say, up till this point, I think everything that we talked about is fairly, uh, you might say, ecumenical. I think especially for Protestants, uh, everything we have talked about so far ought, ought to be agreed upon by uh, people who claim to be b- biblical Christians. So we talked about man's purpose in life. We are created to glorify and enjoy God. We talked about the necessity of the sacred scriptures, their uh, their authority and their power and their inerrancy and their sufficiency uh, and how the scriptures of the Old and New Testament teach us how to live to the glory of God, uh, you know, sort of talking about the connection between orthodoxy and orthopraxy, the necessary connection between the two. And then last time we we talked about uh, the character and nature of God, the oneness of God, the triunity of God, and uh, we talked our way through uh, not only what the Westminster Confession or Shorter Catechism says about the nature of the Trinity, but really what historic Orthodox Christianity has believed about God and the Trinity and all of these things. All of these things, I would say, are fairly, um, that they are not controversial, or at least, again, they should not be. With the rise of theological liberalism, especially, especially in evangelicalism today, uh, unfortunately, especially what we said about the nature of the the Holy Scriptures, these things are becoming more controversial, which, by the way, is is just ridiculous. Um, it's it's a sham. Um, it's uh, it's evangelicalism basically becoming slaves to the culture and not to Christ. It's uh, evangelicalism following the same path that mainline Protestantism has followed. It's theological liberalism. It's a heresy. It is. Uh, the idea of, of a theologically liberal Christian is a myth. It is a myth. Uh, and you can read J. Gresham Machen's Christianity and Liberalism, and, and he will tell you why it is a myth. But uh, apart from the theologically liberal slide within evangelicalism, most, uh, most Christians... Uh, within orthodoxy would agree with just about everything we talked about today. Now, or up till today, everything we talked about up until this point today, because today, now we are getting into, as I said last week, some of the distinctives of confessionally reformed theology. 
we are, question seven, beginning to talk about the decrees of God. The question is, what are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Uh, Yes, we are beginning to venture into the topics of things like predestination, uh, foreordination, and eventually election in salvation. The decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, meaning uh, God takes no counsel from anyone or anything else. He is his own counsel. Uh, You see the connection with uh, last week's discussion uh, concerning uh, what is God. Um, God is uh, a spirit, infinite, uh, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Now today the question says uh, God's decrees, his eternal, uh, are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his own Will. It's building off the fact that God is infinitely wise, right? And infinitely power, powerful. Uh, so the decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his own will, whereby for his own glory, there's the connection, by the way. There's the connection with the first question and answer. What is your chief end? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Here, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. This statement is probably not as universally (laughs) accepted within uh, biblical Christianity. Uh, And the implications are huge for what this question and answer are stating. And so I want to be cautious here because this question and answer sets in our, uh, it sets our minds spinning. I I think it really does. And, And we can oftentimes feel overwhelmed by what it means to confess that God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Everything. Everything that has ever happened or will ever happen is ordained by God and part of his eternal decrees. Not just the quote-unquote good stuff that we like, but also the terrible things. The terrible things, the tragedy, the sorrow, the pain, the grief. They too are ordained by God as part of his eternal decree. This notion shakes us to the bone. It rattles us, really, it does rattle us to the core of who we are. The implications, as I said, the implications of this idea are huge. And and 
naturally, as we think through this, our human tendency is to go to extremes. Um, an example of an extreme that we might go to is to ask this question. Is God the author of sin? Or is there no such thing as free will? Uh, and uh, because of our uh, instinct to go to the extremes when we think about the, the decrees of God, let me just remind us, uh, we have to let the Bible be our guide on this. The Bible speaks to these issues. The Bible tells us that God is not the author of sin. Uh, the Bible, I think, clearly gives the indication that free will is very much real. Now, we can talk about the function of free will and how free will operates, and we will talk about those things, but it's important to remember historical confessional reform theology, or what you might call Calvinism, never denies free will. Now, the hyper-Calvinist denies free will. The hyper-Calvinist gets triggered every time someone even uses the word free will, unless somehow it's Calvin, then they just ignore that Calvin spoke about the existence of free will, or Augustine, or, you know, pick anybody. But I think the Bible is clear that there is free will, uh, and we're not, we're not talking uh, again, we're not addressing the implications of sin on free will and, and what free will can and cannot do and all of that, but again, it's real. It's real. Um, and so as we tend to go to the extremes when we consider the decrees of God and how God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass, um, admittedly, our minds are a bit baffled, right? Our minds are baffled on how all of this can work together, how there is free will or human agency, as Augustine called it, how there uh, is the reality that God is not the author of sin, and yet sin exists and ravishes the human race and ravishes God's good creation. Um, but we have to uh, understand the mindset that the Westminster divines had. I have no doubt the Westminster divines were baffled as well by these, uh, what's, what seemed to us to be paradoxes. Uh, but they were also very much committed to this idea, and we talked about this last week, the distinction between the creator and the creation. The creation, you and me, we work with a very finite understanding of reality. The creator, on the other hand, is infinite. It's, it's a wonderful thing. It really is a wonderful thing, especially as we think about these, uh, again, what seem like to us to be paradoxes. It is a wonderful thing, I believe, for the creation, for you and for me, to be overwhelmed when we explore the infinite, when we think and ponder about the eternal decrees of the infinite God, uh, that, is, uh, that is, as I said, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, but we always have to keep the distinction between the creator and the creature in mind. 
because the implications are if we if we if we fail to make that distinction that is when we end up going too far in trying to explain the infinitely holy god and in this case explain how his eternal decrees work and we end up falling into serious serious error and even heresy uh, if we can move past as we think about this, the, the eternal decrees of God. If we can move past the great mystery of this truth, the mystery of the things we've been talking about, if we can accept it as fact, mysterious, yes, but fact, then I do think as we consider the decrees of God, I think there's great comfort in this week's question and answer. Um, I was once asked, uh, before I uh, went into ministry, I worked in banking for about eight years. Um, so I was, um, I was once asked by a coworker who had an eight-year-old daughter, uh, a special needs daughter, uh, her eight-year-old daughter died. Um, and I was once asked by her, you know, do you think God ordained for my daughter to die? Now, we talk about the implications of our theology on real life, right? <laughs> um, she was a Christian. She was struggling with this very idea of the decrees of God. How could God ordain my daughter to die? That was her question. What kind of good God would ever ordain that? How is this part of God's eternal plan? And admittedly, at the time, I was unprepared uh, to answer that question. Uh, you know, Again, it's one thing to know your theology. It's another thing to know how to communicate it and express it and be ready uh, ready to uh, respond in a situation like that. Respond in a way that is gentle and caring and loving and sensitive. I was unprepared. I was unprepared in that moment to answer that question. Um but since she's at it, it's interesting that that question has stuck with me for so long because that was, man, that had to be at least 10 years ago. Um, and I've spent a lot of time, a lot of years reflecting on that question. And in my own personal life, that question has haunted me, uh, particularly as I faced the death of my brother. Um, he died in April of 2014. And, you know, we talk about the decrees of God. I wonder if God decreed for me to re record this episode today because today uh, would have been my brother's um, 39th birthday. The question I wrestled with is, did God truly ordain this to happen. And here's the conclusion that I came to. 
based hopefully on the Word of God, based on more than just the Westminster Shorter Catechism. If God did not ordain all things to happen, including the death of my brother, then we are working with a God who is simply reacting to the ways of the world. He's not a proactive God. He's a reactive God. And he's simply doing damage control. He's like a... He's like a cosmic first responder. That's really all God would be. Uh, But if God truly does ordain all things... If God truly has ordained all that has and will ever happen, then we can have confidence in knowing that God is truly in control of all things and has a plan and purpose for all things. We can truly know that that God is working all things according to the counsel of his own will and doing so both for his glory and and for the good of those who love him. Think about that. Think about that. Because God does foreordain whatsoever comes to pass, we can know that whatever comes to pass is both to his glory and for the good of those who love him. We know that God is not surprised by anything that happens. He's not simply reacting to the circumstances of a sinful world or simply reacting to the circumstances of a fallen man's decision. And again, we know that all that comes to pass is for the glory of God. Now, I think my coworker, when she asked me that question all those years ago, was thinking she could not take comfort in the idea that God has ordained for her daughter to die. And, and I can certainly relate with that. Uh, the grief she was going through at that time was overwhelming for her. But again, now that I've had years to think about this and have gone through a similar but different, similar but different loss, I can say that I would find no comfort or peace in a God who is simply reacting, in a God who is a cosmic first responder, in a God who simply is being called to the scene to minimize the damage of sin upon a fallen world. I find much more comfort in a God who, having proven himself trustworthy throughout the history of humanity, he has proven himself trustworthy. I find more comfort in a God who ordains and sets all things into motion, who is working all things for his glory and is working all things for the good of his people. Um. Brothers and sisters, I hope you realize this is not just cheap theological 
speculation or meanderings or, you know, whatever. This idea of God's eternal decrees strikes at the heart of who we believe God is. It really does. Is God truly sovereign? Is he truly in control of all things? Is he truly working all things for his glory and for the good of those who love him? Or again, is he simply responding to the mess of things that mankind has made in this world? It really does get to the heart of what we believe about God. And let me just close with this. This is a shorter episode today. Maybe that's good. It's, it's kind of a weighty, weighty subject. Uh, but let me just close with this. We should never think, especially as we face the tragedies of our life, we should never think that God is heartless. If any of us would dare ask God, how could you be loving and yet ordain such pain and agony in our lives, let's remember this great truth. God and his eternal wisdom and counsel did not spare himself from the greatest of all suffering. And we only need to look to the cross of Jesus Christ to see that that is true. Just as God proved himself faithful to his only begotten and beloved son as his eternal decrees were carried out upon him on the cross, despite the tremendous amount of pain and suffering that Christ endured, more suffering than you or I or even the worst sinner in hell will ever experience, we can know that God has and God will continue to prove himself faithful to us as his decrees are being worked out in this world. He will hold us fast and he will do all things for our good. As the first question and answer the Heidelberg Catechism says, God watches over us in such a way that not a hair can fall from our head without the will of our Father in heaven. This God, this all-powerful, fully sovereign God, is the one who loves us, who holds us in his hands, and who is working all things for our salvation. And his eternal decrees... His, his, his eternal purpose is indeed geared towards uh, promoting our good and our salvation. They are geared towards making us more holy, more like Jesus Christ. And they are geared towards helping us to grow in our ability to glorify our God. So, um, it's a tough topic to talk about. Again, it, it scares us, it rattles us. Uh, 
We don't know what God decrees for our life, and that, that is terrifying. I am terrified of what that means. But it also brings us comfort and hope in knowing that God will be glorified, and we, whatever God ordains for us, it will be for our own good. And we may not see that in this life, but we will most certainly see it in the life to come. So that is question seven. <laughs> um, that should be enough for today, enough for us to think about. Next week, we're going to look at how God executes his decrees. Uh, God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. So we will we'll, we'll look at that next week, and we might even get into some of the questions around what are God's work of creation, what are God's work of providence. So I hope you will join us next week for Westminster on the Fly. Yeah.